to the book of 2 Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 5 we're going to read the second half of the chapter first 10 verses of this chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 5 the apostle Paul talks about us as followers of the Lord Jesus awaiting our new body we have a body now but it's broken and flawed and in it we groan and it's a bit of a burden sometimes and we all know that and it's a lot of hard work to look after it but we have a new body awaiting us in heaven in glory God has promised us this and so there is a desire the apostle Paul says to not be in this body but to be in that body we don't like being in between we don't want to be without a body he says we don't want to be unclothed as he calls it but rather we have a desire to be in the new one. That's true, isn't it? Apparently not. I thought that was true. Good morning. Good morning. Ah. Um, the Apostle Paul says, interestingly, have you ever had the experience where you have spoken to someone who has a terminal illness, a Christian, who is not well, who is ageing, but they don't want to leave. They don't want to go to be with the Lord. They want to stay here. It's not so much that, I didn't say that well, it's not so much that they don't want to be with the Lord, it's that they don't want, they want to leave their loved ones. You ever encountered anybody like that? I have on numerous occasions. And it's often intrigued me, and non-Christians have asked, I've been asked the question, and maybe you have, if the gospel is real and heaven is real, how come you don't want to go there? Why do you want to lay, stay here? Why the wrestle to live here? don't know if you've ever encountered that. I certainly have. And I was intrigued this week to discover even the Apostle Paul had that wrestle. Because he says in that passage, which we're not going to read, he says, For while we are in this tent, in this body, we groan, we're burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed. We do not wish to be unclothed. We don't want to go through the experience of putting off this body and waiting until we get the new body because we don't get the new body until the resurrection, until Jesus returns. And in that in-between time, we are without a body. And even the Apostle Paul here in this passage, 2 Corinthians 5, alludes to that wrestle. There's something that God has placed within us that says to hang on to life, that we are a body-dwelling people. Well, all of that to say this. In view of the fact that that's our eternal destiny, God has given us a mission and a ministry right here in this life. And that's what we're going to read about. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11. Paul says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, to boast in us. So that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, outward appearances, and not what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, then it's for God. If we're in our right mind, that's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all 
and therefore all died in some sense. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, there are many truths that we will hear this morning that we already know. I pray that you might refresh them and that you might apply them. That we might just not know them, but that we might be moved by them, shaped by them, motivated by them. That we might be obedient to your intention for leaving us here until we inherit our new body. So Lord, open our eyes, speak to us again. And have your way and will in each of our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In light of our eternal destiny, in light of the fact that we follow Jesus and we have a home with a perfect body awaiting us, in view of that, why are we here? Why don't we just go? Everything would be so much easier and we'll be so much better in heaven. Being holy is a struggle here, isn't it? Won't be there. Being in fellowship with one another can be great and sometimes difficult here. No problems there. Praising, praying, be terrific. Why don't we just go? Why are we left here? One reason. One reason only evangelism we've been left here because we won't be doing it there we are left here to be tellers of good news to be bringers of glad tidings to be announcers of outstanding news five times five times we are told in the new testament that the lord jesus commissions us to go into the world and to make disciples matthew 25 Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20, Acts chapter 1. Each of the Gospels in the book of Acts, five times, after his resurrection. This is why you're here, this is what I want you to do. You have a duty, you have a responsibility to be evangelistic. <clears throat> one commentator summarised this passage with a lengthy statement, but a good one. Every Christian has a mandate from God to engage in this ministry of reconciliation. To present the message of reconciliation by life as well as by lip. And so function as God's ambassadors for Christ. Every Christian has this mandate to engage in the ministry of reconciliation. We know that, don't we? 
So once a young boy, <clears throat> lonely child, asks his mum and his grandmum to come play with him with a brand new sandbox that they have for him, a sand pit. And it was out in the front yard because they didn't have room in the backyard for it. So mum and grandma, duly equipped with shovel and buckets, promptly out they go, sitting in the sandpit with little Junior. And as they sat there, they started engaging in conversations with one another. And they got so involved in their conversation, they suddenly noticed that as people were walking past on the street, they were taking a particular interest in them, what they were doing and so on. And it was then that they realised that the little fellow wasn't with them, that he'd gotten up and had gone back inside. So here is mum and grandma playing with a sand and bucket in a sand pit with adults walking by. Easy to lose focus, isn't it? Easy to forget what our purpose is, our mission is. And when we do, it makes us look a little bit silly. We're left here with a mandate for the Ministry of Reconciliation. When we forget that, we've lost focus. We're being distracted by sandpits. What is reconciliation? What is this thing about salvation? What is the gospel? What does it achieve? It is not. When I die, I'll go to heaven. That's not it. Nor is it, it's all about life and how to live it in the here and now. No. The gospel, salvation and the ministry of reconciliation is all about restoring a relationship with the living God having my sins forgiven, and in the midst of the reality of that relationship, my life changing, which will affect my life here and now, and which will take me to heaven when I die. They are the consequences. The reconciliation is about the restoration of a relationship. As you heard that young guy talk on the video, the Alpha video about being in prison, and how his life was changed. Remember that? Jesus, take away my anger and take away the bitterness and take away the drug addictions and take away this. And he did. And he was changed. That's what the ministry of reconciliation is about. It's about us being involved with the Lord in transforming people. Moving them from unbelievers to believers. Even moving them from disinterested atheists and by living such an attractive life and engaging a sensible bridge-building exercise of relationships and then being attracted, they move to being maybe seekers or inquirers, a softening. God using us. God helping new believers to mature, to become more passionate and obedient. The Apostle Paul in this passage gives us three motivations. Verse 11, Since then we know the fear of the Lord. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. And verse 18, God has given us this new ministry of reconciliation. He has commissioned us to be ambassadors. Fearing God, love of Christ, ambassadors. They're the three motivations out of this passage for why we as followers of the Lord Jesus need to be engaged in this ministry of reconciliation. All the time. Every day. It's to be the filter and the perspective through which we see people, which is, as we'll come to, is exactly what the Apostle Paul says. Knowing the fear of the Lord, it's because of verse 10. We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and to receive, what does he say? And to receive um, for things, what is due to us for things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 
We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We will. As a follower of Jesus, you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And each of us will receive what is due to us for the things that we've done while in the body, in this body, in this life. Whether good, rewards. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or bad. Probably a better translation or a clearer translation perhaps would be for that which is worthy, rewards and well done, good and faithful servant, or that which is unworthy, that which is worthless. It's not that we receive punishment for that which is unworthy or worthless or bad. That's rather that we don't receive the reward and the commendation. It's something we miss out on, is what the Apostle Paul means. Understanding that and having a deep respect for Jesus that motivates us, we better get on with the job. Because if we're going to give an account, he's going to be asking us, how did you go? I gave you a great commission. I gave you the ministry of reconciliation. I appointed you as my ambassador. And so the Apostle Paul is reminding us, um, because we fear God. Secondly, because, we, because of the love of Christ can be understood two ways either our love for Christ that's possible but very unlikely it's far more likely Paul is referring to because of his love for us because that's what he goes on to talk about in the context he died he rose for us his love compels us what would you do to a person who came along and took your credit card debt and wiped it paid the lot what would you feel towards that person? Well, magnify that and that's the response that we ought to be having to Jesus of what he has done for us. Fear of Lord, Christ's love for us as well as our love for him and the commission that he has now made us his ambassadors. That gives us three things. In verse 16, it gives us a new perspective. In verse 17, it gives us a new person. And in verse 18, it gives us a new purpose. I'm just going to talk about those quickly and a little. All this change and this ministry of being committed to reconciliation, being committed to the task of evangelising, is based upon a realisation that God is inclined towards us. God is favourable to us. This is the underlying inference of this passage that God is the one who has initiated the restoration of the relationship, that God loves us. We hear that so many times, they become just word. God calls us, he beckons us into a relationship, into his family, us, people like us. And people who are different to us, but people just like us, people with pasts like us, people with problems like us, people with secrets like us, people with shady areas like us, people with skeletons in their closet, people like us, people who are nicer than us, people who are worse than us, all of us, all people. God has a desire to reconcile to himself. The reality is that we matter to him. We're important to him. If you've never realised that, that could be a brand new truth. Well, then I hope you are open to receiving it because it'll transform your life. 
But for most of us, we already know that. We know that God's amazing love and predisposition towards us is one of favour, not of frowning. That God is good and kind and merciful towards us. And maybe it's becoming for us a distant, fading memory. But it ought to be, for Paul, the motivation of being reminded of what he has done for me. How he has changed and forgiven me. Not only obligates me, but motivates me to live for him. This is what this passage says to us. It's amazing. I don't know if you've realised this or thought about this theologically. But let's jump down to verse 19. It says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That is an amazing phrase, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. God can do one of two things with our sin. Our sin is what has caused the separation. Our sin is what has caused the necessity for reconciliation. It's not that God moved, it's that we moved. And now God is pursuing us. And so God could do one of two things with our sin. He can count them or he can cancel them. Cancel them. And he chose, I'll cancel them in order that the way could be open for reconciliation. Not just our sins, everybody's sin. Everybody is potentially reconciled to the Father. The passage doesn't say it clearly, but the New Testament certainly teaches it, and the passage alludes to it. You see the balance in verses 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us, therefore we're convinced that one died for all. Jesus died for everybody. And therefore, everybody, in a sense, has died. Sins have been cancelled. And he died for all so that those who live for him, not all live for him, so that those who live for him should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And was raised again. Do you see the balance? Jesus died potentially. Everybody. Everybody's sins cancelled. I could say to my dad, Dad, Jesus has cancelled your sin. What you have to do is receive it. You have to accept that. You don't have to do anything. Just be reconciled to God. He wants to be reconciled to you. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying, motivated him and drove him to go forward. This has led, of course, then to um, a new perspective on people. Verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Apostle Paul is saying, because Jesus died and because I understand that now and I have received Jesus, now he's changing me. And one of the things he's changing is he's given me a new way to look at the world, a new way to look at people. I no longer look at people the way I used to, he says. How does the world look at people? By race, by gender, by class, by status, by wealth, by intelligence, by career, by abilities, by appearances. That's the worldly perspective, all in this life. 
The worldly perspective is all about promotions and power and prestige and possessions and popularity. All here now. But Jesus' death and our acceptance of it alters our perspective on how we should see people. They are not simply of a certain ethnicity or nationality or of a certain gender or class or status. They are either believers or they are unbelievers. And they are people who are made in the image of God for whom Jesus died and for, and for whom God cares about very much. That irritating neighbour that you have or that rude person not selling, uh, serving you appropriately in the shop when you were shopping or whatever is the annoying person at work. The perspective we are to have, God cares about them. They matter to him. Bill Hybel says it like this, you have never looked into the eyes of a human being who doesn't matter to God. Not even when you're looking in the mirror. It's a good statement. You've never looked into the eyes of a human being who doesn't matter to God. When that truth grips us, then the depth and the breadth of God's love, you'll realise you'll begin to see people differently. That's what Paul says, the new perspective. Verse 17, new person. Anyone who is in Christ, if you've responded to the invitation to be reconciled, then you're a new creation. It's already come. The old is gone. The new is here. Some things continue, some things discontinue. There is a change. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You've given up being focused on self to now being focused on him. New nature, new person, new desires. Not perfectly, but in process. You are being transformed. New perspectives. Old prejudices to go. Old misconceptions to be gone. Process of change. And people will notice that because that then links in with a new purpose. You've not only got a new perspective on people, you're not only a new person yourself, but you now have a new purpose. You're now an ambassador. An ambassador is a person who has been sent by a sovereign to dwell in a foreign land and to both represent him, the sovereign, but also to speak his message, to speak on his behalf. An ambassador of Australia is an Australian. An ambassador of Christ is a Christian living in a foreign kingdom, in a foreign land, sent there by the sovereign, or in this case, left here by the sovereign. In order for this purpose, that we need to be different, verse 17, all things are changing, but also to speak, to speak his message, what the sovereign has for us. We are to represent him. Three motives for evangelism, fearing God, the love of Christ, and this new commission that we have from him. Let me apply some of this quickly. A businessman went overseas and when he came back, he bought his wife several gifts, some souvenirs and so, so, from the country from where he had been. One of the things amongst all of the souvenirs was a little box, about the size of the car, a little matchbox. And he was told by the salesperson that it was cute because at night it would glow in the dark. When all the lights were off, it would still be shining. So he was particularly attracted to that. He bought it for her and sure enough, he told her, gave it to her. And that night when they turned off the lights, he was very disappointed. He'd been ripped off. The thing didn't shine at all. 
told his wife what it was supposed to do and she was disappointed and when they woke up the next morning she looked at it very closely and she could see some writing on it but it was written in French. So she went to a neighbour or a friend or an acquaintance, somebody who knew French and they got her to read it, got the person to read it to her. It said in French, if you want me to shine at night, keep me in the sunlight all day. If you want me to shine at night, keep me in the sunlight all day. Get it? You need to be exposed to the sun so that you can reflect his light in the night. Don't misunderstand what this evangelism task means and this um, of reconcil- the message of reconciliation means. There was a little fellow, about four-year-old, who was going to a wedding and he was being given the job of the ring bearer and sure enough, Julie dressed in his little tuxedo, rings on a little cushion thing and as he walked down the aisle holding this he held it with one hand and then with the other hand when he got to the end of the aisle, top of the aisle you know yeah, uh, uh, as he walked down the aisle and got to the front was perfectly behaved all through the service rings were given away and so on end of the service when he turned down and had to go down the aisle again with the bridal party uh, uh, he misunderstood he thought he had to be the ring bearer. <laughs> That's a dad joke, isn't it? <laughs> Don't misunderstand the message of reconciliation. We're not to go being Bible bashers. We're not going th- shoving stuff down people's throats. It's build a bridge of relationship with people for whom Jesus died and for whom he cares, just as he cares for you. Simply be honest with them. How was your weekend? It was good, it was bad. What'd you do? Went to church on Sunday morning. Just say that. Oh, by the way, at our church, we're having an alpha course. A what? Tell them. They'll either be interested, if so, keep talking. If they're not interested, well, don't push it. We can't do it, let God do it. We're simply his ambassadors representing him. Pray. And just learn to ask questions. Anyway, that's a little bit off target. It's not only up for us individually to be doing that, it's also up for us as a community to be doing this. And I came across this survey, true story. There was a person who writes this, and it appeared once in a church bulletin. This particular person said that he wanted to find out what the churches in the area were really like. So he visited 18 churches. And in visiting the 18 churches, one a Sunday, so for 18 Sundays, he went off visiting. He says this, I sat near the front, so it could be any one of these people. After the service, he said, I walked slowly to the back. And then I returned to the front, but up a different aisle. So he walks down here, across, back to the front. Um, Eventually, I went slowly down to the foyer. I smiled at people and I was neatly dressed. I asked a person to direct me to a specific place or person. This is what he did in each of the 18 churches. I asked a person to direct me to a specific place, to the morning tea or to the toilets or whatever, or to a person. Could you introduce me to the youth pastor or to the pastor or whatever? I stayed for coffee if it was served, stayed for the morning tea. And he said, I used a scale to rate my reception in this particular church and I awarded points on the following basis. That's what he did 18 times. I gave 10 points if I got a smile from a worshipper. 
I got another 10 po- I gave another 10 points if I was greeted by someone sitting nearby. <laughs> you can see what's going to happen straight after the service. You're going to be telling smiling good day. <laughs> that's 10, 10. That's 20 points. I gave 100 points if they exchanged names. Good morning. My name's Daryl. What's yours? Whatever. I gave 200 points if someone invited me to coffee. Would you like to come and have a cup of coffee? I gave 200 points if they said to me, see you next week, or invited me to return. I gave 1,000 points for an introduction to another worshipper. Good morning, this is my name. Have you met this person? I gave 2,000 points. This is the one I like. Gave 2,000 points if they, got, if they gave me an invitation to meet the pastor. Well, of course, that's 2,000 <laughs> points. Conclusion. On this scale, 11 of the 18 churches scored less than 100. 11. Now, to get less than 100, there are the two tens. Smiling at, from a worshipper or being greeted by somebody... After that, it's exchange of names. That's 100. Five of the eight scored less than 20, which means they either, he either got a smile or someone said, G'day. That's it. Who was sitting next to him in the pew? Not both, one or the other which means only two of the 18 scored reasonably well. Of course, all churches can improve in all these things. I'm telling you this because I'm saying the process of reconciliation and being involved in ministry does happen out there, but it also happens in here. God sends people to us on a regular basis. They move amongst us. Smile from a worshipper, 10 points. A greeting from someone sitting nearby, 10 points. Exchange of names, 100 points. 200 for an invitation to coffee. 200 for an invitation to return. 1,000 for an introduction to another worshipper. Wow. Get it? (laughs) We have improved. But we need to keep improving. We haven't got it yet. What have I said to you this morning? Our eternal destiny leaves us with our current assignment, evangelism. Don't lose focus. Don't get caught playing in the sandbox and not focusing on what we should be doing. Reconciliation is about the restoration of a relationship which leads to change of life and which leads to heaven later. But that's not the deal. This is a relationship with a true and living God. God's inclination is one which is towards us. He favours us. He has chosen to cancel our sin, not to count them. That gives us a new perspective on how to look at people. It gives us the experience of being new people. And it certainly gives us that one focus, that new focus, new purpose. We live for him, the one who died and rose again as his ambassadors in this world. Let's pray. Well, in fact, let's stand. We're going to sing our final song, and at the end of that song, or even during the song, if you would like to come forward for prayer, if you'd like to have a restoration, 
If you'd like to have the experience of you being a person who matters deeply to God, you had it, you lost it, it's fading. He wants you to not only experience, he wants you to be feeling it, experience living in it. Maybe you want to receive Jesus for the first time. Love to pray with you to do that. Maybe you need someone to pray for you, to embolden you, to have courage to be this person who follows Jesus. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Change your focus on how you see them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you are a God who is favourable towards us. That you love and care for us. That you decided to cancel the debts that we had accrued. And your arms are extended beckoning us to be reconciled to you, to a living and vital relationship. Lord, can you enable each of us to be filled with the vibrancy, the vitality of the life of Jesus living in us, changing us, changing our perspective on people and clarifying, focusing our purpose while we're in this body. Lord, As you have commissioned us, so anoint us as your ambassadors to represent you, to speak for you, to be loyal to you. Grant this. This is your will and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, please remain standing.